It's the first Prez Monday check-in. We'll have a chat, but not spill tea. Hey, it's the first Prez Monday check-in. We got the Bible and Greg and me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Monday check-in. I'm Damon Jensen-Heitman, one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska, joined by... Greg Allen Pickett, the other pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Hastings, Nebraska, in this, is it the third week of Lent? I guess it's not the third week of Lent till Wednesday, right? We're still in the second week of Lent. Yeah. You know how oftentimes during the year I say the time makes no sense right now? Yes. That's especially true in Lent. It is. It's hard because it's complicated because you say it's 40 days, but it's not 40 days. And most of our calendar usually starts on Sunday, but this one starts on Wednesday. But then it'll end on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's complicated. Yeah, so it's six weeks, but it's also not. But it's also seven weeks. Six but and it's a half. Not really seven weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I can tell you that we are still on week two of our devotional guide. And I can tell you that Damon's relationship status with time during the season of Lent is it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, you know, I mean, it's fine, but the, right, the challenge, I suppose this is always the challenge for folks is like when you have to go back and forth in between two different time structures, right? Like one, like a, a Saturday to Sunday week and, and, but, and then a Wednesday to Tuesday week, right? Or going back and forth between these two cultures. And that's just kind of like, I don't know what week it is. I flew between time zones this week. Does that, I mean, is that an apt metaphor or not so much? Maybe, I don't know. It messed me up. Well, daylight savings actually messed me up probably more than time zones. Yeah. I heard a lot of that, a lot of that on on Sunday morning. You should have seen the 830 service. (laughs) it was sparse Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then sunday evening when it was you know still light outside later i heard a lot of oh wow it's oh this is so nice it's so light out it's boy isn't that kind of nice and fun yeah but then you can't complain about it not being light in the morning right well you can't sure you can no <laughs> you can complain about anything. Whether you're justified in your complaining is the other question, but it doesn't no. stop people from complaining. No, these people. I think, when will they stop their complaining? Well, I there's a biblical precedent for complaining about things, isn't there? <laughs> Dating all the way back to the uh, to God's chosen people and the the yeah yeah. And sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's not. Yeah. This is a total aside, and we won't get into this too deeply today. Nobody but cares. They don't care. Over, they love it. Oh, Lent. boy. Biblical aside, let's hear it. Let's go for it. Uh, no, I'm the entire uh, edition of the Presbyterian Outlook magazine this month is dedicated to anger. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the first two articles are kind of a, a justification of righteous anger, saying you can't let your anger lead you to sin, but the anger itself is not necessarily sin. And so often we write off anger or even complaining as sinful. And there are times where it's probably righteous and justified. It's just, you can't allow it to become an idol. You can't allow it to take over your life. 
But if it spurs you to positive action, and in the case of the articles I was reading in the Outlook, if it spurs you to act for justice because your anger is at injustice, then that's not a bad thing so long as it doesn't cause you to sin. So anyways. Yeah, the director of my um, CPE, uh, I think the first word is clinical in that. Clinical zone. pastoral education. That's where we do <clears throat> hospital chaplaincy internship as uh, seminary students. Yeah. So, I mean, when you, when you meet with folks in the hospital, it's not uncommon to come across anger as an emotion. And, and I remember he said that there's no anger is fine. There's nothing wrong with anger. It just needs to be pointed in a good direction. That's, that's a good way of putting like it. it. Like it needs, it needs to be, um, yeah, pointed in a, you know, in a useful sort of a way. But, so can we can we do that same analysis with complaining? There's nothing wrong with complaining as long as it's pointed in a useful. <laughs> I th- well, here's what I was thinking: um, the the Presbyterian women I'm helping, I like, I go over the lesson every every month. They do a Bible study lesson, and there's a a particular Bible study produced by Presbyterian women organization. And, and I meet with a couple of folks to say, you know, okay, here's kind of what's in this lesson and that sort of thing before they meet in their circles. And this year they're using the study that was actually for last year, but they didn't meet last year because of the pandemic. Um, but so they're still using it. And that, that study is about lament, um, mm-hmm. which we sometimes confuse with complaining. Um, but, but there's a whole there's any number of examples in the scriptural witness of, of lament, uh, which is can bear some characteristic, like there can be anger expressed through a man, lament, um, but it's acknowledging that a situation is not as it should be or as it could be and, um, and taking complaint to God about that um, some, and saying help, like it's kind of your job, God, to help with this situation. And, uh, and we'll do, you know, like we'll do our part too, but this is kind of, you, you got the juice as, uh, the Reverend Dr. Chip Bizarre <laughs> would say. So, uh, it's kind of up to you to use it. There's a number of Psalms that use that form, but so at any rate, however, mm-hmm. back to the original point of the conversation what is the purpose of lamenting daylight savings if there's nothing we can do about it to change it? And also, as you pointed out, celebrating the lighter days. You said people can't simultaneously celebrate that it's lighter in the evening and gripe about it being darker in the morning. Nope. Right. Yeah, I mean, they can, but they shouldn't. <laughs> that's, that's, now, now you're that's, putting a moral moral tone should or shouldn't has a moral implication to it they should or shouldn't they can but they shouldn't they're yeah i stand by that that that's whining <laughs> is what that is oh <laughs> you shifted to a whole new verb uh with all that being said <laughs> maybe we should jump into the reading of scripture and talk more yeah. about this i was saying you know you can be mad about there not being light in the morning i get that i understand that but then I can't see you later in the day and have you say how wonderful it is that it's light out late. This thing, everything's connected. What you're hearing here is that uh, with respect to daylight savings, Damon doesn't suffer fools. There are <laughs> other areas in Damon's life where he suffers fools. There are other areas in Damon's life where he is foolish. Uh, yeah, but pretty much is, all of them. 
This is probably this one not, as well. This is not one of them. Damon has very strong, strongly held and uh, justified in his mind feelings about this. So listen up, pay attention, and come gripe at Damon about daylight savings while celebrating the lighter evenings because he I likes do. that. I do. It's a discipline that I maintain. Hey, speaking of discipline, Greg, uh, the, the, the theme for this week as we continue to study the um, uh, Christian character um, during the season of Lent was discipline. There's our, you're holding up the devotional guide for us. And we've been encouraging people this past week to do a daily scriptural reading. Um, any uh, thoughts on discipline? You, you, you took on Sunday morning, you took discipline in a kind of a slightly different um, bent than I, than I think that we talked about it in the devotional guide. You put a, this really focus on um, discipline's connection to learning and to learners and, um, and who, who have we learned the faith, who has disciplined us or dis, discipled us, I think is how you actually said it, um, in terms of teaching us the faith and, and, and to whom can we pass along this, uh, this sort of discipline or discipling um, sort of a thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Any, any lingering thoughts from that? Um, well, I, I'd be curious to know how folks did with uh, the discipline that we talked about in the devotional guide of, of daily scripture reading. I, um, I connected that a little bit to the story that I shared um, that one of my mentors taught me about the importance of, uh, of God's word and, and digging into God's word and helped me read through the Bible when I was a youth. And um, so, yeah, I, I hope that that was a, a useful suggestion to folks as a, as a form of discipline during this yeah. uh, season of Lent, but also thinking more broadly about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Christ, but also what it means to disciple others uh, in the faith. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things about, you know, doing a daily scripture reading or a daily spiritual practice of any sort, I mean, even I don't know, something like, you know, uh, folks do even I do a, a they say, might say a prayer before they go to bed. They might say a prayer when they wake up. Um, a lot of folks, um, there's those devotional guides. I don't know who, produces them, but there's a daily um, devotional reading. I think one of the things that it does is that it helps to remind us that this is important to us uh, and this is important to our lives. I mean, we brush our teeth every day because it's important. <laughs> um, it's important to our well-being and, and, and incorporating some sort of a daily spiritual practice can have that same effect for us that's that that centering sort of a thing that oh yeah this is important yeah so um ba -ba -da -ba -da -ba. this week uh the focus uh we start taking a look at the the character trait known as holiness and we'll dive into that a little bit more as we go along here uh, we have a couple of scripture readings one from First Corinthians and uh, one from Luke chapter thirteen. Did we do an opening prayer? I think you were going to read the opening prayer from Sunday, March thirteenth, from the devotional guide. Yeah, I should. I should do that then. Indeed, I should. 
It's a thing I should do, Greg. There's a moral uh, moral component to that, isn't there, Damon? Opening yeah. our Monday check-in with uh, prayer is uh, is a moral obligation that we hold. Yeah. We we don't usually forget. I like ought. I forgot to do the closing song at the end of worship on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say that that's a should, though. But I am. Yeah, but yeah, I ought to 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 lead us in this prayer, and ought implies can, as Paul Caputz would tell me. So. Uh, let's pray. This is the prayer from Sunday, March 13th. More like you, O God. I desire to be more like you. Let me imitate your boundless hospitality. Let me mimic your selfless love. Let me reproduce your eternal forgiveness. Help me, O God, to commit to the task of being your disciple. Help me to move past my own barriers and my own distractedness so that I may maintain the life of faith. You, O God, have dedicated your son to my eternal benefit. Let me so dedicate myself to the ways of love and mercy. Amen. Amen. So as I said this week, three, uh, the focus turns to holiness. We have a couple of scripture readings. We'll start with this one from 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse, do you want to start with this one or do you want to start with the other one? Um, it doesn't matter. Okay, this one's uh, on top, so we'll start with that one. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters, as some of them did, as it is written, that people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example. And they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. And that's how that scripture reading ends. And then uh, also for this week, uh, we have this little bit from Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, 
Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Darren's writing as well. Uh, so I don't know, Greg, going back to this first Corinthians uh, passage, uh, what do you, what do you got? Well, a couple things. Interesting that Paul is connecting the story of the Israelites and their journey uh, with Christ. He's making that explicit connection. Um, and that's an interesting thing uh, that Paul does that, right? Talking about the Israelites journey out of, uh, out of Egypt into the wilderness, through the wilderness for 40 years. And, um, and he's referencing different points of that journey, but then says they all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Um, a reference to probably Moses providing water for them by striking a rock with his staff, and water comes pouring out when they're thirsty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, of course, the, the cloud is a reference to the cloud that guided them by day and night, and the parting of the sea. And eating the same spiritual food would be the manna from heaven that God provided, you know, and so there's this really explicit connection that Paul's making between their story and the story of Christ, and then the story of present day disciples, and the story of the church in Corinth, he's trying to help draw parallels so that the church in Corinth can see that they're part of this narrative, and that they can perhaps learn lessons from this narrative, and so then he continues that uh, the Israelites gave us some examples of things we shouldn't be doing. And the consequences of what happens when we don't, or when we do these things, uh, don't become idolaters. And uh, we must not indulge in sexual immorality. And there's a, there's a link there. If, if you go back and look at the scripture, there's um, in numbers, uh, there's a link between idolatry and the sexual immorality. They're talking about specifically the, the worship of Baal, which was a, a god of um, the non-Jewish people. And the Israelites got drawn in when they were in Moab into this uh, practice of worshiping Baal that includes sexual immorality. So there's a reference to this idolatry, this severe idolatry of putting something over God, uh, another God uh, over God. And then also the the story of the serpents, right? The serpents uh, who came and uh, killed a lot of the Israelites when they disobeyed. And uh, then they they had to put one on a stick or something. Yeah. Look, look at look at the rod and they were saved or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then do not complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You know, so this is again, it's it's Paul telling the story of the Israelites, reminding the church in Corinth of, of their, their history, of their ancestry, of their past, and saying, Don't repeat these same mistakes. We've we've learned from them. And so our call is to to move beyond making these same mistakes and and we have these examples before us. And so in terms of attempting to achieve holiness or become closer to God, let's not make the same mistakes and fall into the same path, same worn paths, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to use our reference from last week. Yeah, this, um, the connection between uh, the Israelite experience uh, and what we know as the book of Exodus and to Christ. Do you understand this connection? Because <laughs> I'd assume this to me, this is one of the passages where oh, I, I feel like Paul's stretching a little bit. I, well, I can't quite follow it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so I'm asking for help, is what I'm asking for. Yeah. I, 
I read a commentary before we, we jumped on and it, uh, it talked about uh, the church in Corinth that, that Paul was writing to and, and, and had spent a year ministering to. And it draws some parallels between the experience of the Israelites in Exodus and uh, the experience of the church in Corinth. Um, and so Paul was trying to help them make those connections to sort of synthesize like, hey, the Israelites had it hard. You have it hard for a variety of reasons. Don't don't fall into the same patterns of behavior that they did just because, you know, learn from them, learn from their mistakes. Don't make the same mistakes. That's, that's what I draw from it. Do you see that? Um, uh, yes and no. I, I, uh, so like in verse four, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, and I probably just need to go back and reread more of First Corinthians because probably the wider context of the letter is helpful. Um, and some of the wider context of the letter has to do with, I think, just this question of how much is the church going to go along with the wider culture and how much is it going to stand apart from the culture and on what issues? Isn't First isn't Corinthians part where we have this big debate about whether or not you can eat meat sacrificed to idols? It is. And, and the also, answer is like, well, you like it's fine to eat meat sacrificed. Like, you know that those idols don't mean anything. So it's fine. But if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, you know, or get the wrong idea about God, then then you shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It introduces one of my favorite words, which is adiaphora, uh, which is that Greek word for um basically something so small that you shouldn't let it divide you like that's eating meat sacrificed to idols that's adiaphora like do it if you want to don't do it if you don't want to but don't allow it to be a stumbling block for others and don't allow it to build a wedge in a relationship between you and another brother or sister right and i can think of a lot that falls into that category of adiaphora um and yeah, th there's also debates in, in the first letter to the Corinthians. Um, the, the folks are fighting over which of Jesus' disciples that they are following, right? Are you a student of Paul? Are you a student of Apollos? Are you a student of Peter? And Paul tries to course correct that and say, that's not relevant. We're all students of Christ. We're all supposed to be following Christ. And so whether it was Paul or Apollos or Peter that taught you what they were teaching you about, you all share, which is Christ and the cross and the grave and the resurrection and what that means for us. And so, uh, yeah. And so, and there was some griping and complaining going on in the church in Corinth, similar to the griping and complaining that the Israelites did in the desert. You know, you, you can start to draw some parallels. And I think that's what Paul's trying to point out. Theoretically, many members of the church of Corinth were converted Jews. So these would be familiar stories to them. Uh, they wouldn't be, uh, so So it's almost coded language that he's speaking in that sounds unfamiliar to our ears, but would be very familiar to somebody who had studied um, the Older Testament. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that some of, and I think that some of this passage reflects those sort of wider, <clears throat> you know, do not become idolaters. Right? That um, the, the Jewish 
faith moving into what would come to be known as the Christian faith. Uh, you know, folks at the time would have probably thought of themselves as followers of the way, um, not necessarily Christians, but at any rate, was not would not have been the dominant religion within the city of Corinth, right? Um, you know, so this, you know, do not become idolaters. That makes sense. Like, don't, um, uh, don't, uh, don't just get caught up in what everybody else is doing. <laughs> like, you have a, you have a particular calling uh, and a particular way that you are asked to live in the world, and that I think connects to this idea of holiness that we have for the week. Um, you know, holiness meaning. Um, almost literally like to be set aside or to be set apart um, you know, from everything else and set apart for, for a particular purpose, I suppose. Is that kind of where you're seeing the, the, the connection to this idea of holiness? I think that's, that's the direction it's headed. Um, and thinking about this, this season of Lent and sort of our call during the season of Lent uh, to, to reflect and repent and, our call towards trying to live more holy lives, lives that are more aligned with God's will for us and God's will for the world and leaving behind those things that are out of alignment. Um, and I think, I think that one, one of the biggest challenges facing the American church today is idolatry. Um, and you can name what we make idols out of that were just as severe as the idols that they were using in Corinth and just as severe as the idols they were using in Moab. Um, uh, you know, where we, we put something over and above God over and above our call to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and it becomes an idol for us. And for, I think a lot of the North American church, that's ultimately money. It's material possessions it's influence, it's power. It is, um, I think it's stuff that is facilitated by media and social media and certainly by um, advertising and that sort of thing. And it, and it causes us to commit idolatry. And we may not call those things God, but as Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart is also. And if we're pouring our treasures into these things, our hearts follow. And um, so we're, we're treating these things as gods or, or as, as important as God and our faith and our call to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly. And so we're, we're missing the point and falling into these idol, like these idols. And so to me, the holiness is the opposite of that. And, and during this season of Lent, a chance to reflect um, seriously about this importance, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, when you think about this Luke passage, hmm. I like patience. this one. Patience is a virtue. Never <laughs> give up. Keep at it. I, what I, I like, what I like about this passage is that there's, um, I don't think that either person is wrong in it uh and and there's no ex, there's no express 
uh, like statement or saying saying something saying that uh, the gardener is right <laughs> here um, that the 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 owner of the vineyard is is entitled to like this fruit tree needs to be doing something otherwise it's not of any real actual value um and the gardener is saying well then we need to alter the conditions a little bit uh to give it another chance to do something uh and then if it doesn't do something then okay then we can we can try something else we can try a different tree in that spot or or whatever the case may be but that the like there's this um there's a push and a pull in here like there's a challenge and a nurture in yeah. it um that you know if we think that you know if i think oh i'm I the tree <laughs> um then there's a challenge to actually do something and then and they, then there's a nurture to say like you, you can you got you know you can have maybe a little bit more time to do something but yeah and in the larger context this is a very short passage from chapter 13 verses 6 through 9 right before it 13 verses 1 through 5 jesus repeats the statement twice unless you repent you too will perish and so i think jesus is yeah, we, we are the fig tree and uh, we are called to produce good fruit. We're called to repent or we will perish, right? It should use up the soil and, and get rid of it. Uh, and also we have a gardener who is compassionate and merciful and saying, let's give it one more shot. Let's give it one more shot, right? Yeah. And I think that ties into the Corinthians too. It's, it's, it's repent or perish, right? Uh, Paul is using these examples from the Israelites in the wilderness of the times that they fell short and didn't repent and perished. And he's saying, don't do that. Y'all have a shot at this. And, 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 and the, the passage ends, if you think you're standing, watch out that you don't fall. No testing is overtaken you. That's not common to everyone. God is faithful. He will not let you test it beyond your strength, but with the testing, he will also provide the way out. So endure it. So, I mean, I think there's a, there's a connection there between the two scriptures. I appreciate yeah. your interpretation yeah. of this, that, yeah, if I'm the tree one, I got to bear some fruit. Yeah. Two, <laughs> I have a loving and compassionate creator who's going to nurture the soil around me. Who's going to, who's going to say, wait, not not just yet. Let me try another year of, of watering and and nurturing. Yeah, it uh, it it. Um, I've been teaching the confirmation class, and it connects to that uh, with me as well. This we've been talking about um, like disciples do, right? Um, so like being a disciple is not is not just um, like intellectually assenting to the doctrine of the church or, uh, or, you know, spiritually assenting to it as well. Like it's also living it out. Um, so it's not just thinking, yeah, loving your neighbors as you love yourself. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm in, I'm in favor. <laughs> um, 
okay, and, right? Uh, so also living it out. So the fig tree can be a, a fig tree, I guess, in concept, but if it's not producing anything, then it's, is it really a fig tree? Uh, and, a, and a person can be a disciple, I guess, in concept, but if they're not actually loving their neighbor, then are they really a disciple? Yeah. I like yeah. that. That'll preach. <laughs> yeah. So if I get hit by a bus, which is not a good phrase to use in Hastings, Nebraska, since we, there's not a lot of buses running around. Mm-mm. But if I were to get hit by a bus, I think, Damon, you could take that Luke 13 verse and, and you've got a sermon there. You were to get hit by a runaway horde of Nebraska fans. Wow. Something like that. A train. Sure. We have trains. You can get hit by a train. We have we have lots of farm equipment, too. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could get hit by a farge implement. Farge implement? A farm implement. What do you think a farge implement is? It's the That's one they use in Fargo, actually. <laughs> I bet it's pretty exciting, whatever it is. It's getting really, really thick here. So let's go ahead and move on to what's happening in the life of the church. You before probably get out your farge Im- implement. <laughs> you need to put that away, man. Uh, all right. Um, life of the church. Well, uh, we are in our sort of holding pattern here. Of We have an 830 service, which is a contemplative to Zay style of worship. And uh, then our Sunday school hour from 915 to 1015. And then our traditional service at 1030. And so that's, uh, that's where we're, what we're doing right now. Uh, we have some exciting things happening in worship. We've had actually two really great Sundays of worship. We had Celebrating the Gifts of Women Sunday two weeks ago. Kylie preached a great sermon. And then um, we had a great women's choir and bell choir. And then this week, uh, we had a really stunning choral anthem. We also had a beautiful bell piece as well as uh, a solo from um, someone that I think Damon knows pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's your brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to say more about that? <laughs> no, no, I just, okay. uh, but. Uh, People can so, go back and check out, check it out on Facebook. Yeah. If they're curious if they want, oh boy, a mystery that I want to have solved. Uh, they can find the worship service on the Facebook page. Indeed. And you don't need a Facebook account to do that. Uh, it'll prompt you to sign in, but you don't have to, to watch the service. So, no. um, just during let our, it block the third of your screen. It's fine. <laughs> during yeah, our Christian, <laughs> during our uh, Christian ed hour from 9, 15 to 10, 15 on Sunday, we have Sunday school for all ages, uh, from pre-K all the way through to, uh, adults. Uh, what's going on with the adult forum right now, Damon? And Deffenbaugh, our scholar in residence is in the midst of a, It'll be a five-part series uh, focused on on Passion Week and um, on Lent. And uh, it's based on a book called Entering the Passion of Jesus, uh, A Beginner's Guide to Holy Week, I think is the full title by Amy Jill Levine. Levine, I'm still not sure which way it's pronounced. Um, and so Dan's kind of using that as the basis of sort of a walkthrough of, of the events of what we call Holy Week or the Passion Narratives from the Gospels. So, and, and talking about some of the various risks involved in that and the risks um, that maybe disciples were taking, maybe that Jesus was taking. 
and so on and so forth. We've had one session. It is up on YouTube. Folks can find it if they want. It's never too late to join in on these sorts of things. So Dan will be back for the next four weeks to, to finish out that study. So, All right. Anything else we need to share with our loyal listeners and subscribers? Mm, no, I don't think so. All right. We do want you to encourage you to continue this Lenten devotional guide. Uh, if you need a physical copy, let us know. We can get you one. We also have uh, it uploaded electronically. You can We can send you the link, whatever works for you. I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer, and I'm going to use the prayer uh, that is was written for uh, this week for um, Wednesday, March 16th. And uh, so let's uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Our prayer this week is part of the lyrics to "Holiness Is What I Long For," as performed by Jesus Army. Dear God, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want from me. So take my heart and mold it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will and conform it to yours. Oh Lord. Amen. Amen. With all those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.